This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Audio rolling. Mugash. For those of you who's joining us, Yanni, if you're joining us in this episode, do not just start here. Go back to the beginning. This story has been insane. Already, you've fallen in love with film. You've been in a choir and singing and vocals. <laughs> you've been in theater. Slight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you've been a dancer. Yeah. Now that dance stage has ended. Yeah, it's come to an end. Yeah. Okay. You oh, actually, hold on. How can I also forget this? You've been Mr. and Mrs. USA. <laughs> you, you have been Mr. University Kenya 2000 and... and 2001, Dude, you've lived a whole life. <laughs> you get... It's fun. It's you've, fun. You've, you've been friends and lost mm. a, a loved friend, Isa. In such a short time. Oh, in man. such a short time. In mm. fact, that story is the one which for me has just... Um, uh, you felt some church wounds. By church, I mean mm, the Christian religiosity wounds. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and now you're about to enter advertising. Yeah. How, like, where, the whole time that I've had you speaking, the whole time, and we've been speaking for like four hours. <laughs> yes, it's been four hours. It's been like four hours, and we're like halfway. <laughs> oh gosh! Because <laughs> people enter- are gonna be like, log off. Yeah, it's okay. Let them log off. Forget <laughs> this. So. Um, when did advertising enter this picture and explain now ent- the entry into advertising and, and tell us the year. Ah, um, so it's, it's 2003, um, yeah, I've left, I've left ministry and, you know, lovers wound up and everyone is now trying to figure out what the next step is. Olova was my circle at that point. We were a circle, we were family, but the way this all ended meant that everyone had to go and deal with stuff their own way. Um, and I can't speak for every member of Olova. In fact, if anything, if you spoke to everyone, they probably have different experiences. We don't talk about it too much now. The last time we were actually actively involved in a space that had Olova attached to it was when, <clears throat> when we were... Honored. When we were honored. By Groove Awards. At the Groove Awards. Yeah. Um, year before last, which was an incredible honor. It was the first time all of us had been together in a long time. But, you know, of course, our leader couldn't be there because he, he lives in the U.S. now. But it was nice to meet. It was cathartic, at least for those of us that showed up. I didn't even know that Joyce was in all over. Uh, yeah, she was. A.K.A. ZD. ZD founder. Yes, yes. She was. I, 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 when I was starting the playhouse, I interviewed her as part of an entrepreneurship. And did she mention? So we didn't. All over? Yes, she did. Oh, yeah. She did. She mentioned all over. Yeah, yeah, Joyce. What, what happened was, you know, I was part of a new school, and then there was another new school, and another new school. And Joyce was one of the, like, third, um, you know, third groups of people to enter. And she joined very, she was, she was not there for very long, but Saramitaro was part of all over for a short time. Yes. Yeah. In fact, Saramitaro, I remember seeing her at, now I realized to Saramitaro, mm. the chick was dancing like crazy in, in 2000 at that event. Sarah was one of the best dancers. That, that, that girl could move her body like, like she'd move and we're like, what is going on? And then Wambura, same thing. Mm. Wambura, 
these guys, let me tell you, Mambura and Sarah, those two need to get back into their dancing roots because we we did it because we sort of fell upon it. They just chose to do it, you know. It was amazing. Oh, but you know, next stage. So what? Next happens? stage. Yeah. Next stage is me now trying to retrieve and enjoy something of a semblance of a campus experience in the last few months. But um, I have to be honest. Being 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 in Olova let <clears throat> a lot of my studies slide. It was it was tough to cope with, you know, being in dance ministry, not sleeping very much because we'd have to go for gigs. I'll never forget how we played once at um, the opening of Pavement Club. Do you remember yeah, Pavement? Yeah, at Uko West Roundabout. Yes, yeah. So we were there playing at the opening, and it was so freaking amazing, and. I didn't have a. It was a cold night, and one of uh, one of um, one of our members had. A, and you know, there was mental health wasn't a thing that people talked about a lot. So we didn't know what a panic panic attack was. But one of our members had a sudden panic attack out of nowhere. It had nothing to do with anything to do with Olova, but I had to give her my jacket, and I was sitting outside in the cold because I couldn't get back in because the club had this about if you walked out you can't walk back in and then I was in a bus heading home to South Sea and I realized that I'm getting home at 5 30 in the morning and I have class at 9 so there was a lot of times like this where yeah. I'd be going to class after a gig the night before and I had failed in a couple of classes and I failed simply because I wasn't in the headspace to do the work and whatever so the byproduct, the interesting byproduct of that was that I missed my graduation uh-huh. and had a spectacular falling out with my folks. And uh, funny enough, you know, God works in mysterious ways. That falling out caused us to be much closer now, now in my older life. Because the falling out caused us to be very, very honest with each other about a few things. Then um, soon I graduated from university and I redid the classes that I failed, yeah. caught up, um, apologized to my dad, my mom, graduated and uh, by the time I graduated I had a job which was amazing because I had another gap year between the time I finished my studies and the time you worked, like the time when you actually worked and had the degree. So by this point I had joined as a little tiny ad agency which uh, was called Access, is called Access Leo Barnett. And happenstance is a wonderful thing. When I was working into that ad agency, I had been given a recommendation. Go and meet, go and meet this person called Mwendi Mbogwa. No, well, she was Mwendi Mwiti at that point. Uh, Mwendi Mwiti was a copywriter who worked at this agency. I didn't even know what a copywriter was at that point. My best friend and I both had said that we were going to work in advertising. So he had been hired as an intern at an agency a month before, also as copywriter. And I had a meeting with Mwendi and Mwendi asked me, oh, and the person who recommended me was Goi. Now I'll tell you how that happened. Remember how I said that I want to act. I really wanted to act. Like I wanted to act so bad. And I was like, this whole dancing thing was good. I only did it because 
I was doing it for God, but I really need to do something for me now. I need to act. That's what I want to do. That's back to the dream, back to the five-year-old, back to the person <clears throat> in Lavington, improvising. I want to do that. I want theater. I want to feel that feeling, the ET feeling again. Uh, so... I it was taking a bit of time. I'd finished my studies and then suddenly I realized I'm sitting at home a lot, doing nothing, listening to radio, waiting for calls, sending my CV, which is a thin ass, tiny little CV <laughs> with nothing much other than these are the schools I went to. Uh, this is my GPA from USIU. I was Mr. USIU and I sort of, kinda, worked at Nation FM. Sort of, kinda. <laughs> Uh, ask Eric. <laughs> ask Maxi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Maxi was actually one of my... Referees. Referees. <laughs> he was. Um, and then I'd done an internship at a law firm when I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, this is before I joined ESIU. And um, that was my CV and I wasn't getting any calls back and I was stressing out. Um, and the stressing out sort of manifested into migraines. Yeah. And I start getting these terrible migraines. And anyone who suffers migraines, they'll tell you the first time they have a migraine, your body, it's like your body becomes someone else's. And you're like, what pain is this? What is this? So it was a particularly stressful day in school. I was doing my very last course. One of the courses I had to repeat because I'd failed it before. I hadn't told my folks that I'd failed. They thought I was going to graduate. When they had I missed the graduation, they were like, why did you not tell us? What is this? Has everything been a lie? And I know it was all that all over stuff. Oh gosh, I had to deal with so much stuff. Anyway, so this class is sort of coming to an end and I'm still jobless and I'm like, I don't have an internship. What's going to happen next? I said, stressing out. So one day in school, I get that, that, that blank, blind spot that people talk about when they're, when they're about to get a migraine. And I thought I'd just looked into a bright light and that was the distortion. Then suddenly this pain comes and pain is so debilitating i can't see i can't move i went to the school clinic and then the, the doctor looks at me and he was a very feelingless doctor he didn't have feelings much but for the first time i'd gone to see him a couple of times for other things but for the first time this guy looked at me and i could see pity in his eyes because i was in so much pain and he was like i can't do much i just want you to lie down there we'll get you some painkillers uh, how did you get here? I said I was driving and he was like, you're going to need to find someone to drive your car home because you're not in a state to drive. So I got some rest. I got someone to help me drive my car to the hospital. And then when I got to the hospital, I texted um, someone and said, yeah, I'm in the hospital. I think I'm really sick. Please come and see me. And the pain was overbearing by this point uh, to the point that I started puking and was like, what's going on? So I just went to the waiting room of Nairobi Hospital. I texted someone, said, come, then my sister and, and my mom and sister came. And they found me in a heap. Like I was curled up into a heap on one of the waiting room chairs because I didn't want to see light. So I was, you know, light really affects if you have migraines. Yeah. So I just covered myself and I was like this. And they came and touched me and asked what's wrong. And I said, I don't know. I just have the worst headache. So long story short, there was an this was a thursday again thursday and there was an audition that i was supposed to attend on that saturday that i had in you know it was a wednesday and there was an audition that saturday that i had intended to prepare for thursday friday and saturday itself it was going to be my first audition the first audition of my life 
and I was gonna miss it. Now, I was like, maybe this chance for acting passes me by, I'm never gonna get it again. So one of my classmates was part of the team putting together this play. It was, she was part of a new company called Sterling Quality. Her name was Pauline Como. Sterling Q. Sterling Q. <laughs> and they were putting on a play, Serafina. Be a part of this. Be a part of this. So anyway, I was admitted into hospital, so I had to stay all the way up to Sunday or the following Monday. So I was in hospital for four or five days, and I called, and 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 I and I was like, I texted Pauline and I said, remember how I said I really wanted to come for this audition? I can't because um, what's, what's her second name? Pauline Komu. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I texted Pauline and asked her, Yo, Pauline. Um, is there someone I can talk to? And she was like, yeah. Talk to one of the you know, producers, the production people. His name is Alan, he has his number, Alan Hicks. And I'm like, oh, Alan Hicks also comes to USAU. So he's probably seen me around campus once or twice. And I'm like, hi, I, I call him and I'm like, hello, Alan, I'm calling you from the hospital. I wanted to come for the audition, but I couldn't because I'm here, I'm admitted, I'm unwell. But if there's any chance that I can audition after I'm out, and he's like, when are you going to be out? I told him, I don't know, but I'll call you as soon as, soon as I know. As soon as I know, I'll call you. And he was like, okay. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> Pauline spoke about you. She seems to speak a bit highly of you. Pauline has never seen me acting before. <laughs> She's just speaking as a friend. And yeah, just give me a call when you're out and I wish you a quick recovery. And I'm like, thank you very much. As soon as I was home, I gave him a call and I said, please, this is me. I've come home. And he was like, okay, come for rehearsals. And what they had imagined was that they were going to have an extended audition process where this, if, it, if they had done it this way, this is completely, uh, what's the word? It's, it's not just illegal, it's just in bad taste. What they had planned to do, and I'm glad they didn't do it, was they were gonna, two weeks into rehearsal, be like, you, 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 you can stay. The rest, please. Wow, wow, yeah. wow, wow, wow. We were a big cast, we were too many. But somehow we found a way to make it work. Um, so I was told, we don't have time to audition you, but come and start rehearsing. Because we're going to cut off a number of people after a certain amount of rehearsal time has gone. And two weeks after they passed, they were like, no, that's not going to work. We can't have people who have been here for two weeks. We can't tell them suddenly you need to go home. So we'll just keep everyone. And that's how I ended up on the cast of Serafina, without auditioning. <laughs> and that was your first ever... And that was my first ever professional role, on a stage. What, what were you... Uh, you were part of the kids? No... Yeah, I was part of the... Well, part okay, of the, the kids, you were talking about the... The kids were... So the Serafina school. is the story of the, the Soweto school that was shot up. Yeah, yeah. The, Soweto, the, the beginning... Well, uh, a, a, a parallel story of the Soweto uprising. Yes. And I played the role of Stimela. Who is that again? Simela was the charming dude. There was a lot of energy. Uh, like whistling and dancing. And he's like, this is a night for you and me. Ay, 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 ay. I was like the, <laughs> I was the levity. So this was your first role where you had that many lines. Let's call. Yes. Yes. It's not. And, and, and it was and, the and, first. It was the first. It, it was the first role for which I was going to receive 
Has it broken? No, no, it hasn't. Oh, okay. That was my phone that fell. Anyway. Yeah, his phone dropped. It was the first role? It was the first role for which I was going to receive a paycheck at the end. It was the first professional role. Yo! And it was the first time I was ever going to act with people who called themselves professionals because there was hardly a screen scene then. It was all, pretty much all stage. Who are some of the people who are in that play? Ah! When you talk about Alan Hicks, are you talking about Alan Hicks or Rina Hicks? Yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah, he was he was one of the production people at Kevin Quality. And then there was, you know, Paul Oyer and Peter Oyer and uh, the rest of them. Who else was in that play? Serafina was directed by Pauline Komu. Choreography was by a lady called Jimmy Chwea. Production was by a lady called Faith Colley, who now produces TV. And among the people in that cast, there was a gentleman called Kamau Andongo, who, interestingly enough, I ended up being co-writers with on Supermodo. Which we are coming to. <laughs> yeah, which we are coming to. Uh, but perhaps the most recognizable... The, who else? Ah, there was my good friend, who we used to spend a lot of time with during the gap year, when all of us were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. So while I was in FEM, I used to attend uh, Excans, which was a ministry fellowship, a, a fellowship for high school leavers, and there were many of those, and I attended two of them. One was called Core Group, that was led by the Navigators, and you another. You also one, in that part of the Navigators. Yeah, I was part of Core Group, their That's initial um, fellowship for people for, yes. who have just left Form Four, and the point was that you are taken through a year of like discipleship, and then at the end of the year you organized or part of a team called Expo, which would now take in the next class. And then they'd go into their core group and then organize the next Expo, which was a two-week workshop and then so on. So I attended Excans. Excans is where I met a lot of people for the first time. People like Amani Malanga, people like David Kuri I met for the first time through that. And this very charming, very gregarious, very funny gentleman uh, by the name of Jason Bruno. Uh, yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. I met him there for the first time as well. Jason Bruno was in Excans? Yes, he was. Man, this that's world when is I really met, small, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's a small world. And then that's where I met uh, another gentleman um, who was the elder brother of someone who, of, with whom we were in the same class with. But it's funny, he was technically not an ex-can because he went into doing his A-levels. Yes. So he was coming in as an ex-can, but he was a bit older than us. Uh -huh. But his sister, who had just completed her O-levels, or KCSC, was also in it. Her name was Belinda Bana Nsubuga. Mm. Her elder brother was Yafesi. <laughs> Yafesi Mosoke. So that's the first time I met him. And there's a bunch of us, just a bunch of people. So. Uh, Jason Runo was in this cast as well. This is the first time that we got to act together. Uh, who else was in it? Um, and of course there was the lead, Sarafina herself, who was played by this young actress who was also coming off of doing her A-levels and was acting for the first time in a professional production. So it was unprecedented that someone acting in a professional production would be hired straight onto their first role. And that lady was Mkamze Mwachala. What? Yep. Mkamze Mwachala played Sarafina. The role of mistress was played by a lady called Dorothy Oko, who now works with Google. 
I know Dorothy. Dorothy was a teacher. Stroke boss at a time. Dorothy was mistress. She was head of she was head of PR. Do you know what she was before then at that point? Uh-huh. She was a lecturer at USIU. <laughs> Man. Yep, that's where we met the first time. Is she uh, she took the Whoopi Goldberg role? Yeah. Yo. Yeah. Okay. So now Hey Mugash, now so, you've entered acting. So now I'm an actor. Yeah. And you you were you were touching on all of this because of going. Ah, well, so um <clears throat> but you, you remember you remember I was coming off of being very unwell. Yes. At the point that um you're getting migraines. At the point I'm getting migraines and and I realized it was stress. It was the stress of oh my god, I'm going to be unemployed and be sitting around doing nothing. And I end up getting this role on Sarafina and while we're doing that we started doing promo tours. We're doing promo tours for Sarafina. And what promo tours involved was we'd go and perform little snippets of it at certain churches. Uh-huh. And one of these churches was... Uh, was the chapel, Mamlaka. It might have been, I can't remember, but it was where Goi was. Goi just happened yeah. to be there. And Goi and I had met over the course of ministry with Olova and he asked me a question. He asked, so what's your plan now, now that you're done? And you know, he knew Olova had wound up and I was like, I want to get into advertising now. And he's like, how's that, com- how's that coming? And I was like, it's hard, I can't find any work. I've handed over my CV everywhere, I'm trying to get appointments, it's not working. I mean, I just want a chance, that's it. And he was like, okay. I know someone who works at an agency called Access. Her name is Mwendwa, and we did a tour together in the States. Um, oh, this is, was Gerald also part of the people who worked at Access? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so, not at that point. He might have before, but then ended up working on Instagram okay. together, Instant Grass. But um, he was like, yo, listen, I'll give her your number, I'll give you her number, and then uh, go out and meet her. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll do that. So I went out and met this lady, Mwendoa Moiti. And she's like, hi, go, you told me about you. And then she sees me, you know, she comes out of the waiting area and then she sees me and her face lights up like she knows me. And I'm like, have we met? And she looks at me and says, you were in Olova, weren't you? And I'm like, yes, I was. And that's how the conversation began. So, you know. I have a lot to thank for that. <laughs> I have a lot to thank for a lot of things, but that was one thing. And uh, so we started having a conversation and she's like, so you want to work in advertising? I said, yes. And she's like, where do you think you want to work? Um, I said, probably customer care. She's like, you mean client service? I'm like, oh yeah, client service. Uh, and maybe, you know, creativity. And she's like, you mean creative? Yeah, yeah, creative. I still didn't know much about advertising at that point. And she was like, okay, I can't promise to give you a job because, you know, I'm not that far up the pay grade, but I can get you a meeting with the MD, CEO guy. And I was like, sour. So I met up with the CEO and he was like, so what makes you think you can work in advertising? And I was like, you know, I, I think I'm pretty creative. I've been involved in entertainment in the local scene. Um, I have done a few cool things, you know. One of those cool things being on Who's Smarter Now. <laughs> what? Yeah, I was on Who's Smarter Now. <laughs> this is a side story. Um, <laughs> uh, my friend Yafesi, who I'd met at Excans, and my boy Bugs, who I'd known from church, from when we were in primary school, were like, yo, this, 
this show called Who's Smarter Now is pretty cool. We should probably take a chance at competing in it. Why not? Why not? We're like, life is short. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So there's a process that you went through. You wrote them a letter or an email or something and said you would like to be on your show. And you were supposed to email them as a team so that they'd know they were dealing with three people and no one is going to flake out or whatever. So we ended up on the show. Um, and we were like, guys, we have to decide now whether we want to go out there and have a good time or go there and win lots of stuff. What are we going to do? We're like, above all, let's just go have a good time. What will a good time involve? And we're like, we'll just be ourselves. We'll just act out. We'll just be those guys. Yeah. When we win, we'll dance. When we lose, we'll, we'll just play everything up to level 11. <laughs> we'll just have a freaking good time and not give a fuck about anything. So uh, that's what we did. We went and had such a good time that before, when we were being, you know, they, there was a process. You went, they shot many shows, like shot like five shows in one Sunday. Yeah. So we showed up at this place. It was a ballroom of some hotel somewhere, Intercontinental, I think. I can't remember for sure. And we would, and, and we showed up and what they do is that, well, contestants, uh, they're always so bored. Contestants, where are you? Come here, sit there, you do your makeup. Okay, go there and wait. <laughs> They'll call your names. And then there was always this energy of, mm, who are these guys? Because they've met, everyone knows, like, we've met so many of these guys before. So anyway, we're like, okay, we're all campus kids, and we all went and just sat and waited and waited and waited, and suddenly it was time to shoot our episode. So what happens is Regina has to go into Regina Ray, the very amazing Regina Ray, who was the um, presenter of Who's Matter Now, uh-huh. has to go into wardrobe and do her makeup and her hair all over again, because she, you know, it has to look different. And so, uh, we, what would happen was, a lot of the people that you, see, that you saw sitting in the audience for Who's Matter Now show... Were contestants. Were contestants on other shows. Yeah. Yeah. But they would be given their own sitting at the back so that the cameras wouldn't catch them. Yeah. So that the continuity wouldn't be in it. So you were always allowed to bring two or three people from your family to come and watch you. And then they'd move to the front. And then they were the ones who'd be filmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once you were done... You ask, do you want to stay or go? The, the, your people go. The other contestants, you know, you are taken to the back and then like that. So it was a very well-oiled machine. So we get up on that stage. And not only do we have the time of our lives and have Regina at the end saying, I have never had such a good time on this show as I've had today. Uh, but we also won the highest amount of money ever on that show. And were you given the money? Yeah, of course. We're given the money. You're given the money after the show. Immediately? Yeah, yeah. You don't wait. The cash is there waiting. Because they know they can only, everyone can only answer a certain amount of money. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't much. It was like, if you got every single answer correct, you'd earn a maximum of like 15, probably 17,000 bob. Yeah. It wasn't that much. But it made for very good TV. Yeah, yeah. So we just had a good time. We bet the highest amount every single round. And then when it went into quick fire, you know, I embarrassed myself. Um, but um, do you know what a funny result of that was? Regina still remembers all of us to this day. Just because of the way you guys yeah. acted? Yep, she still remembers all of us to this day. We're still friends. Myself, uh, Bugs, Yafesi and Regina. She remembers us all, by name, still. 
to this day. Ah, yeah, but that's a crazy crew. That's a crazy crew. Yeah, it was. So now I'm sitting at my advertising interview because I'm saying, yeah, I was on the show and we won the highest amount of money and we just decided to have a good time and we were very creative and we made the host laugh and I've written a few things here and there. I even carried a few writing samples of things, like short stories and things. Uh, a couple that means of you, essays. Had been, you had been actually writing. Yeah, I mean, if you're in campus, you had to write. Okay. You know, you really didn't have a choice. No, you did because you're doing IT. Oh yeah, but you know, I was in okay. So, so USA, you had general requirements, okay, general okay. education requirements. So you had to do some English courses, okay, okay. courses, and you had to write some of your own stuff. So I, I carried some writing samples, and I remember the boss looking at me and saying, "I don't think you understand how advertising works." Yes, you can be the most creative person, but the real work in advertising is channeling that creativity and focusing it. So imagine your creativity is this bright light. Advertising needs a magnifying glass. It needs to focus that light onto one spot because advertising is a creative medium, but above all, it's a problem-solving medium. Best advice I was given. Best advice. So I'm like, okay, so what now? And he was like, let's do this. And then he calls um, another. It was a small business. It was a family business. So it's a dad and the daughter was a client service director. But they were both. These guys had done quite a lot of good advertising work in the past. And he was like, so listen. I want you to write for me three essays. Write one essay about why you want to work in advertising. Write one essay and attach a thing of what you think is good advertising and one essay of what you think is bad advertising. Um, today is Thursday, have them returned to me on Monday and based on those essays, we'll decide whether or not you're going to work here as an intern. And I was like, sure. We're still rehearsing for the refin at this point. So suddenly here are two dreams coming, uh, appearing to come true. I'm gonna act. And hey, Richie, even when I was at UA, I loved ads. I loved ads. My sister and I could talk along with them. <laughs> we'd run, every time we had a new ad, a new jingle, we'd run into the sitting room and be like, oh, here's a new ad. And then we'd memorize it and we could sing along and we could be like, if it was Kasuku, Kasuku to me and the lava, hey. <laughs> or, <laughs> Jay, binan kihara, ameju gundulia nini? Nachukua omo with power form, kiasi kidogo. Unaweka kwa maji, unafua kidogo kidogo. We knew those ads, oh. Like, we knew those ads. Like, oh, you knew them. No, 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 no. Of our, like, they're on the tips of our tongues, and we could sing jingles, all that. So I was like, that might be another thing I want to get involved in. So when my IT career was fa- flailing, I yeah. then took an extra minor in marketing. And now I'm sitting at an ad agency being told, come and submit these um, three essays by Monday. I think this was a Thursday. I went home and started working on those things immediately. And on Monday, scheduled time, I had all three essays and two ads attached to to the two essays of what's good advertising, what's bad advertising. And I remember this MD looking at me and saying, that was pretty fast. And I was like, yeah, but you asked me to drop them off. And then he calls his daughter in and says, yo, you know, he submitted them. And without reading them, they were like, so... Yeah, you could be an intern here when you want to start. Yeah. And I was like, as soon as possible. So I think the following Monday, a week after that. That was now your first job. Intern. That was my first day. It was an internship. Yeah, it was unpaid. Okay. It was still part of my course requirements. Oh, okay. Yeah. Again. Your internship was part of your course requirements. So I would not have been able to graduate if I didn't have an internship. That's what I was guess. stressing me out. 
and already have de- 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 delayed my 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 because I had these failed courses that I didn't tell my folks about. So um, day one, I'm there and I'm working at an ad agency. And about two weeks later, we went on stage with Sarafina. Yo, your dreams are coming true. Like that. Like that. Suddenly. Um, Sarafina, the opening night of Sarafina was attended by Bongeni Ngema and Leleti Kumalo. Bongeni Ngema being the original writer of the book and lyrics of Sarafina. He wrote Sarafina, he wrote the book of Sarafina, which is like the actual story, yeah. the words, and the music was written by him and Hugh Masekela. Yo! They were there for opening night. Leleti Kumalo, the original Sarafina, who played Sarafina on Broadway, and on Broadway and um, in the movie. No way. They were there for opening night. That was pressure. Yeah, they were there for the opening night. I mean, night. that means this was a big deal. This it not was a big like, deal. This is not just like, oh, we're we weren't just play. playing around, yo. We weren't just playing around. I'll throw some subtle shade, but other versions of Serafina have been a little bit of a joke compared to that. Again, production values weren't that high, but the intention we brought to that play, all of us, all of us who were hired some of us who did not audition and i remembered yo this is what i want to do we killed that show what year is this this was 2004 three. 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 Two three. still 2003 yo that was my first role and first role as well 16 years ago amazing look at you that seeing your opening dreams coming night, true that opening night was special because the audience knew that Mbongeni Gema and Lelet Kumalo in the house. Mm. And so all of them were sort of waiting how they're going to react, how they're going to react. As soon as the play was done, lights out, these guys sprang to their feet and started clapping. And everyone sprang to their feet and started clapping as well. It was beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, good Lord. And I was like, I am home. This is it. About two months later, I was confirmed at my job and I had a job. It was paying very, very, very little. But suddenly I had a job and my acting career was taking off. It was wonderful. It was so wonderful. It was like, oh, wow. I guess, I guess, you know, this is how it goes. You chase your dream and it might take a while, but sometimes it shows up. Um, after so, that, you know, if this is anybody else's story, that's when I'd be like, okay, thank you for the play. <laughs> that's the end. But for you, this is the beginning. This is the beginning. This is actually the beginning. This is now the beginning. All those five hours I've been talking about, this is the be- this is the beginning of pillars. Now, for the past four mm. hours, we've been mm. in the foundation. It's all been groundwork, 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 groundwork. And I, if you ask me at that point, where do you think this story is gonna go? I was like, I don't know. I'm just doing what I can at this point. And I really think. That's what people ought to be doing more. I think someone put it this way. They said, work towards, work towards something, but don't get caught up in the results. Because the results, that's not within your control. Yeah. Just be in that place where you're working to get those certain results. If they come good, if they don't, you know, you'll end up somewhere. And if you'd asked me what I was working so hard then, I wouldn't tell you it's because I want to be an actor or it's because I want to do this that or the other, no. It's just, this is what feels right to me, man. I'm just going after what my heart tells me. Go for this. I'm the, I'm the crazy man who says, God told me to contest. <laughs> and, and that to me is a valid answer. And I know it then makes sense to you if I'm telling you, but it's fine. This mm. is why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's it. That's really it. 
And I've just gone from one station to the next to the next and been like, ah, I get it now. So the moments of uncertainty will still hit me hard. I'd still be that dude getting migraines if things are not working out yeah. the way I think. And the migraines ended, thank God, because they'd show up a few more times, but um, I'm still that dude that still doesn't know how it's going to turn out, but you just show up anyway. So I'm the dude who couldn't attend a rehearsal, attend an audition, make the call, show up for the rehearsal. If they tell you go home, you'll be like, at least I tried. That's so cool. At least you tried. You're the one who's given three so assignments. So you got a role without even doing an, an audition? It's, yes, Because it was all part of the plan. Or his plan I guess it was or, part of the plan. Or I guess it was part of the plan. It was not in your control. It wasn't in my control. But all you, you show up where you can. Pick up the phone and try. Yeah. Just try. Just try. That's it. That's crazy. I sort of wish I had that drive now. You know, life does that thing to you and then you, things start showing up. But there's something to that young hunger that can't be beat, man. I, I was the guy that went home immediately and wrote three essays not knowing shit about advertising and just you know wrote them and showed up um and and about a week no no just actually on my second day um i was called into the office of the lady now the client service director and she was like i read those essays and they were pretty good you have a lot to learn but they're pretty good and that's it so a year after that i left that agency and joined a bigger agency but took a pay cut because I was joining this bigger agency as a junior copywriter. And I was like, that's my dream agency. I want to work at Ogilvy. What so year I joined is this Ogilvy. now? This is 2004. Four now. I've graduated. 2004. Remember I missed a graduation. Yes. But then I finished all my studies. Yep. So 2004, by the time I was graduating, I pretty much had a job, which was cool. So again, I was like, I guess that worked out as well. School. I asked them, excuse me, I know I've only been working here for a week at Ogilvy, but I need a break because I need to go for my graduation uh, rehearsal on Thursday. And then by Friday, by Saturday, I was graduating. That graduation was one of the happiest days of my life because I knew the struggle and the tears and the hardship. And I couldn't believe that life in a year had taken such a different time. I know. From imagining that I was going to be like this dance minister and whatever, to suddenly I've gotten an acting gig and now I have a job at a pretty cool ad agency. Being paid peanuts, and I mean absolute peanuts. I think the pay was like, after Kiare took their cut, it was like 9 Gs, 9,000 bob. <laughs> if Tim Bimbui was talking about where he was at at this point in his story, yes. I was making some really good money, man. Yeah, but I was earning like nine Gs. Yeah, taking home. But I was one of the happier people in the room. Then what happened afterwards was I continued working at Rogel V and then Sterling Quality with the success of their first play, which was My Fair Lady. Sarafina was their second play. Their third play was an original Kenyan production. And the success of Sarafina I'll never forget the audition day for the next play, which was titled Luanda. <laughs> this podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. 
Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. With the success of their first play, which was My Fair Lady, Serafina was their second play. Their third play was an original Kenyan production. And the success of Serafina, I'll never forget the audition day for the next play, which was titled Luanda. <laughs> I showed up for that audition at Lovington United Church. And so an audition uh, group, audition committee look, looking at people like, there was hundreds, Richie, I'm not lying to you. Hundreds of people showed up for that audition, hundreds. To the extent that we had to be auditioned in groups. What? They couldn't take one at a time. They'd have been there for three days if they took one person at a time. So they were literally auditioning us in groups. So they take group of five, you're the first group of five, second group of five, third group of five, and they had a lot of groups of five to go through. And then once you passed through that first audition, then you could attend the second audition. Take me through an audition, what happens? It depends on the job. An audition for musical means that you go and you present one minute of singing, one minute of acting, one minute of dancing, because you need to be able to do all three. Mm -hmm. This for like Luanda, what you needed to do? No, well, no, because there were so many of us and the audition committee was overwhelmed by the sheer numbers. They had, they gave group tasks, group improvisation tasks to five people. And I was like, I guess we're improvising again. So we improvised a little skit about, about someone who, Oh, and Mukamzi was in my group, I remember. About a lady who kills her boss. And, uh, and it's a very quick succession. A lady who's being mistreated by a boss goes and shoots him in the back. And then myself and one other dude were now the questioning committee. And we find the lady, the wrong person, guilty and arrest them. While the lady who shot him goes free. Really short, probably three, four minutes. Kid. You're not given preference because, oh, I was in Sarafina. It's no, back to no, no, no. Zero. All of us are back to one. All of us were back to one. That's why we were auditioning to start with. Then after they shortlisted us and they had to shortlist a lot of people, then they came down to probably the last, maybe a hundred people, maybe less. And now we were to show up for an audition where we were singing and acting and dancing, which is the classic audition. And I will never forget walking into the room. It was an original stage musical of the story of Luanda. The book was written by Kajetan Boy under the pseudonym Moza, and the music, Eric Wanaina. <laughs> it was going to be directed by Pauline Como again, and just like any other musical production, a date had been set for which there was probably not enough rehearsal time. This is what happens almost every time. You set the date way in advance. So we started work on this musical called Luanda. So you got in? Yes, I did get a role. And I, what I got role in. did you get? So what they would do was you'd, you'd get in and then, and then based on how rehearsal was going, then they would assign roles. But Luanda was very different from Serafina. Serafina had a ready script. Luanda was still a work in progress every day up until a few days to getting on stage. We're still finding the story. Okay, hold on Mugash. Yeah. Let's change some batteries. Sure. When we come back, I want you to break down this Luanda process. Yeah, because this is the acting story, man. Yeah, this, yeah, I know. This yeah. is it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll yeah. be back. Mugash, your story is inspirational things. Again, for those of you who, who are catching this episode here, go back. It's so much more value when you hear the journey and you hear the steps that he's taken to get where he's, 
he's at. There's a point when his energy went low just because he was reminiscing on losing such a friend. You know what I mean? So Mugash, thank you first and foremost for being so real. But I love where the story is going. I love that the energy is back up because it's good things. There's a lot of hope in your story. Yeah. We're at Luanda. In fact, you're even just skimming through the, what do you call it, audition process. Like, come on. <laughs> no, it wasn't Of course skimming. I was going to make it. There, oh, there are 400 gosh. guys who showed up, but come on, man. No, no this one, hey, oh, yo, this one wasn't skimming. This one, we really had to work hard. We really had to work hard for this one. But, I mean, there's a thing that you said that they were, they were auditioning on three things. Dance, mm-hmm. singing, mm-hmm. and acting. Mm. Dance, you've, that's your history. Yeah, true. All true, over. True, 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 that's true. what you were talking about. True. That's what I'm telling you guys, go back. <laughs> singing, that's the choir singing and all these yeah. other oh, things yeah, that, yeah, that's true. that have happened that's in, true. in, in what do you call this, in, in Lenana. In high, in high school, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get. Yeah. And then now there's acting, which is an obsession, passion that entered you from the day you were a five-year-old and a drum was given. <laughs> and and you watched E.T. It's like you're analyzing and having this photographic memory that that you memorize things and sort of want to express and bring them out. So, you didn't yeah, just sense. land the role. And that's the thing that I want, that's why I tell guys, mm. go back and listen to the history. Mm. You didn't just win the role because you hadn't put in the work. Mm-hmm. Your life, and your journey. Mm. It was leading, yeah. Was preparing you for now, yeah, okay. That's, that's, yeah, okay, Good enough, enough of my Good intro. point, good point. Yeah. <laughs> So, Luanda, uh, we had to be shortlisted to end up at the main audition or the actual main event where now you had to perform one minute of sing, singing, one minute, one minute of song, one minute of dance, one minute of acting. Now, we knew at this point that Eric Wanena was going to be writing the music. What we did not expect was that he was Eric going Anena, to be at the audition. Eric who you also danced for yeah. with Olova. With Olova. And, you know, and that's she, the first time I met hand. him and I'm like, oh, this is Eric Wanena and this is... Uh, this is three years, well, four years later. Four that's years later. That's so cool. And I remember walking to the audition room, and you know, the, the thing about Eric is his distinct eyes. Eh? You know, you walk in and you're like, oh, I know those eyes. Oh, shit, it's Eric Wanena. And I did the acting thing first. I probably did the dancing thing last. Yeah. And I remember, oh, I remember, I even remember what I sang for the audition. I believe I sang Personal Jesus by Tony. Tony? Tony, Tony, Personal Jesus. That was my jam. <laughs> that was my jam. That's why I ended up singing. Tony is the gospel prince. Yes, he was. He was. He was. I mean, that was the closest you could get to not singing secular because, I mean, my things were still very much with the church. And I'm like, I'm not going to go in audition and sing a secular song. No. I'll sing a Christian song that, you know, has some soul to it. Yeah. So, Personal Jesus was it. And I, I, I can't lie to you, man. When I walked out of that audition room, I didn't think I'd made it because I felt I could be much better. But I, unexpectedly, I got a call and I was told, yep, um, show up for rehearsal. And yeah, you have, you've, you're, you're in. Did they tell you what they liked about you? No, they don't usually do that. Do you ever ask? No. You don't, you, you don't want to know. You don't. No, I well, I personally Such don't a different know. Human being and I don't. I don't want to know because because you know then then you'd beg the question what didn't work and I don't want to know about that. I just want to go in and do my best and leave. Okay, sir. The feedback <laughs> bit is hard. I only ended up. Um, I only ended up ever asking at an audition why I didn't get the role and how I can do better because I didn't get the role. Uh huh. Yeah, and this is this is later on. I'll come to it. Um, 
So we did Luanda. Luanda. Tell me again. There's a thing that you've been doing that I want us to sort of do. I want you to paint a picture of, if you can, you've painted a picture of film, media and entertainment, FM, mm. MW, all of these other things. You've painted a picture of radio. Mm -hmm. I want you to give us an example of the theatre industry right now. Is Stalin Q the only ones? Are there other oh, guys? Oh, yeah, that's what? a very good question. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. So I've sort of gotten ahead of myself. No, no, you have it. You're just giving your story. Yeah. But then I'm just throwing this to you because of your photographic memory. The, the acting scene in Nairobi was a stage. It was a stage acting scene. If anyone was going and doing any screen work, because screen work required budgets, it required lights, and, you know, the cameras weren't like the ones filming right now. Uh, they were filming onto tapes, and there was a lot of technical... Uh, knowledge required and the so it doesn't like the process is long uh -huh. and it's and it requires special skills and it's expensive so the, we didn't have much of a screen scene was going there on. even a screen scene? there was there was there, oh. like you know like i said there were the vioja is an example of a there was that okay yeah but then aside from the vioja makamani's and your vitukos and vitimbis and stuff um there was still a lot of NGO films being shot. Uh, very, these were largely short films, not very long, would be made to air on TV, you know, because that's all the, that's where they could be seen. And then there was ads. Advertising uh, was huge. Okay. Yeah, the screen scene then was sana sana advertising, okay. and then of course a bit of local TV. But stage, stage was where it was at. There was a lot of stage groups. The ones that come to mind right now, at that point, when I was auditioning for Luanda, of course, there was Phoenix, where everyone wanted to end up. Uh, Phoenix Players was a repertory theater that put on a play every month. Um, the, Did the, you want to end up at Phoenix? I wanted to end up <coughs> at Phoenix. When I talk about that the celebrities, when I was growing up, were the stage actors. When I'm talking about the Club Kiboko days, when I'm talking about the days of uh, competing uh, in dance with Raider and they were already in the theater. Theater was considered at that point and Phoenix Theater in particular was considered the place you went to if you're looking for fine acting talent. If you're at Phoenix, you had better chances of ending up in ads, you had better chances of ending up in emceeing functions, you actually had better chances of ending up in any other art form and the work was pretty high quality Rest in peace, James Falkland. I never got to work with him. I got to meet him once, but by that point he retired from Phoenix. But people who worked with him said you were never the same afterwards. And I Shinde has said that over and over again. Yeah, never. You were never the same. And I just had stories and stories. I never got to work with him, ever. An interesting side note here. When Shinde got the role of Cinderella, Cinderella mm -hmm. the gentleman that played, played Prince Charming was my classmate in high school. All of us graduated the same year. I don't know why they decided that they were going to cast principal roles with such young actors straight out of high school. Mm -hmm. But when I was speaking to my friend um, Ariba, Ariba Olembo, uh, God rest his soul, I remember asking him, how did you do it? 
at this point, I don't even know where Phoenix is. I never <laughs> dreamed that I'd ever be in Phoenix. And yet here you are at Phoenix. What madness is this? And he told me who I need to talk to if I want to audition and that sort of thing. But then I got into campus and went into dance and that never happened. So I still really wanted to be in Phoenix. Um, but right now, Would you, you know, go and watch plays in Phoenix? I had never gone to see a play at that Phoenix at that point because they were a little bit pricey. Okay. The Phoenix model was one of membership. People paid an annual membership because it was a repertory theater. Again, they were presenting something like clockwork. So members could actually organize their time. They'd be like, this play was showing in this month by the 18th, was it? 16th of the next month, the next play began and it went all the way to the end of that month by which point they started audition, auditioning and rehearsing for the next play mm -hmm. and that would start on the 16th and it would go on like that. So there was always at one point people either rehearsing or putting on a show. That that, that theatre never ever had down days where they're not doing anything. Yeah. Um, in high school, Braeburn boarding, mm. we would get every every Friday in Braeburn you could just sign and it's taken off yeah, your activity fund yeah, yeah so you just go and sign and say i want to go to to Sarit center to watch, to watch a, a movie uh, or i want to go to phoenix to to watch a play oh. i didn't know at this time that this phoenix i mean i would, I would like to go i would go to phoenix probably like like you're saying once every two months mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i didn't understand mm -hmm. the history just go watch a play enter back the bus go back to school mm -hmm. you get but now when i hear you i'm like i feel blessed that I had the privilege to go and experience all these theatrical plays yeah. and watch them, you know, have access to them. Now yeah. is when I'm like, oh my God, this, we were very fortunate to yeah. have this access. No, you absolutely were. You know, because, because that was in the theater that everyone went to. It was, um, it was, it was members only. It was pretty um, highly priced and you had to pay a ticket price of like 800 bob per show. It's early 2000s, man. That's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Especially for someone who's on his first job or someone who's in campus yeah. or that sort of thing. So I never attended a play at Phoenix until much later on. Okay. Uh, but um, we had Phoenix. There was Heartstrings Ensemble. Uh, Heartstrings was doing a lot more scripted content at that point. This is where uh, Churchill comes in. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was one of the people who was not the founders, one of the founders, but he was more one of the more perpetual actors within that unit. bunch of other theater houses or productions I can't remember all of them KNT was largely hired out by lots of people mm -hmm. yeah which is why we went and performed telling you plays there but there was plays like Mbala Mwezi players 
Oh man, yeah. The church circles now. Church circle within the theater scene. Remember, uh, there was a lot of dance going on. Uh-huh. So there was a theater scene, but theater scene within the Christian circles, a lot of good theater was coming out of Daystar University. I get. Yeah. Because I remember again, I'll throw this back. Because when I was a kid, I remember watching Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames and giving my life to Christ because I was scared I'm going to hell <laughs> with everybody else. Let me put it this way, dude. Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames in terms of a theatrical play, in terms of the quality of a theatrical play. If you had a pretty average play here, uh-huh. Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames would be here. Uh-huh. Okay. Because the, the Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames was all about, actually probably here, uh, it's all about just winning people over by scaring them into salvation. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Because that's the basic storyline of Hell's Flames, establish a heaven, establish a hell. That's it. And establish heaven as a place you want to go to and hell as a place you don't want to go to. Start the film with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to remind everyone, this is why we're here. This is why he died. Are you ready? And then after you've played out the crucifixion of Jesus, then afterwards have real life people who look like you. Throw you forward to present day. People who look like you, making the decisions that you make, talking just like you do, but showing what the consequences of those are for the everlasting. So you always had people who were in one thing or another and then they die and yes. then they end up at the gates. And then they're told you go this way or that way. So you're saying from a technical pro- production element, it wasn't nothing to, to be up. From an emotive part, it definitely caught yeah, us. Yeah, definitely. But it's not in by any way, shape or form high theater. Okay, no, I understand. I, I get what you're trying to it's say. It's not. It's manipulative, cheap. I'm sorry. I mean, this no, no. is my point of view. It's manipulative. No, no. It's cheap. It's, but it doesn't. It doesn't hide its intention. It has its intentions on its sleeve. It's to scare you into giving your life to Christ. No, no, no. I hear. I, I've, I've never looked at it from that perspective. Mm. So I, I like. I like your perspective. What other Nairobi cinema? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of uh, independent shows showing there. Christian theater. You're right. So Christian Theatre was on the up and up. Thanks to Daystar, thanks to the guys at Nairobi Cinema, whose names I can't remember. And also alumni of Daystar who are putting on their own productions as well. Okay. And now there's this Sterling Q side. And then there's Sterling Q. And Sterling Q was where it was at. Because they had, like the musical direction was done by Robert Obaga. Uh, not Robert, sorry. Mr. Obaga. I call him Mr. Obaga. I'm sorry. I tried to call Monica's him Monica's father. Yeah, Monica Obaga's dad. And Monica is going to come back into the conversation. Ah, yeah, yeah, she is, she is, yeah. Uh, so that was what the scene was like. There was a lot of high quality work. The other thing that was very different about theater uh, was again, because our media options were very little. We still had the two or three stations on TV and there was no YouTube. There was really no internet yeah. to speak of that had multimedia. Internet was email. Yeah, internet was a lot of email, GIFs, articles, blogs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we called them blogs at that point. And there was not as much multimedia content there yeah. then. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, Sterling, <clears throat> if we're talking about a food chain, the people who are at the top are Sterling Q and, and Phoenix. Okay. In terms of quality, in terms of the audience that they were going for, and in terms of production value. But not on any other things. I mean, there was a lot of good work coming out of other theaters, yes. but the ones that were considered, you know, whoa, were, were Phoenix and, and, and Sterling Q. 
very professional in the way that they did they did their stuff yeah and they had skill to them they had some quality to them that okay. you know, yeah i get what you mean uh, the other bit of theater that was still thriving was of course set book and that one you know that one will never die as long as there's <laughs> theater plays that are part of reco not recommended but compulsory study for high schools then you'll always have set book theater okay yeah okay so let's go back now to luanda and now your experience within that working Lu environment. Luanda was special because we were figuring it out as we went along and the music was so wonderful and we were all so excited about this play we were putting together. As they far as I knew... The acting, they would tell you make the script to fit you. So it's not that you're coming in to read... Get no, 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 uh, no, no, no. The script was already ready and then they would now check the actors that were most... were most, you know, able. Uh -huh. uh, to do to, to do this work. What role did you get in this Luanda? Um, and what was the general story of Luanda? The general, oh yes, good question. general story of Luanda was two kids born at the same time who will later become rivals. A man called Luanda, a little boy called Luanda and a boy called Opul. Now, the things that made this story unique were that Luanda didn't have that strength. You know, the strength. You know, the story of Luanda, the basic story of Luanda is this um, magnificent, this great law warrior whose body was as hard as stone and, you know, spears and and, and swords and, and arrows would glance off him. Yeah. And that made him like a great warrior in battle. And um, when the Luo rose to become the dominant ethnic group, as far as military prowess went, um, the Nandi, who were their chief enemies in a way to sort of soften him up or gain his trust send him a wife a bride and this bride discovers that the secret of his strength is in his shadow and if you destroy the shadow if you stab the shadow yeah. that's where his strength is and then Andy go and stab his shadow and he dies and in his place <coughs> a huge rock uh, was formed and then I think the rock is now Kit Mikai, I might be wrong but I think that's, that's, that's a basic story so we took a little bit of creative um, freedom with this and had added bits of the story where he failed his village by not being able to defend it against a particularly brutal Nandi attack and in the process his friend or his nemesis Opul who's his uh, tribe's mate his parents die and Opul blames Luanda and Luanda sort of takes himself into self-exile and is completely, completely dejected and he's weak and he's beaten and he's whatever and he calls to the ancestors and his forefathers show up and say, how dare you wake us from our sleep, what do you want? And he's like, I want power. And they're like, fine, you want power, you're going to be invisible, but you be careful with that power and always remember where your power really lies. That's the thing you need to protect, which is his shadow. And everything goes on pretty much the same. Uh, up until you know he's killed in the end but in between there's lots of music and dance and commentary on kenyan community at that point it was a wonderful 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 well written well acted play and it seemed to move people so much to the extent that uh, one person who used to write articles for the saturday magazine in the nation was writing about something to do with health and they were like i never do this but if you ever get a chance this weekend, please go watch Luanda. It's one of the finest theatrical experiences I've ever had. It was wonderful. And I, part of it was happenstance what, what and was a role? glorious accident. And part of it was a lot of work. I played the role of, and this role we sort of discovered as we were training, as we were doing it, because we were workshopping the play a lot as we were going through. 
through it and a lot of rewrites happened. Um, but I played the role of a warrior called Omolo, who was like Luanda's right hand man and was his sort of trainer. And I was the outcast and I was a slow kid. Hmm, parallels to real life. <laughs> and I was a bit of a pariah in the community, but for that reason I chose I I, I chose to I chose to that battle was going to be my my thing. And therefore I became an excellent wrestler and hand to hand combat person and therefore I used to train Luanda. So that was, a, that was a pretty decent role. But do you know, I, I sort of this this was it. When we were sort of hitting a wall halfway through rehearsals and the director was like, you people are not taking this stuff seriously. You're not. So this is what is happening. You're not coming for, for rehearsal tomorrow. What you're going to do, you're going to go and write essays and each of you is going to come and present a backstory to me. And I'm going to approve of that backstory. And after that backstory, you are going to present that backstory to everyone, to the entire cast. It was hard. So I wrote my story about Omolo and I put this whole backstory of how Luanda's right-hand man and Luanda's looking out for him. When he starts descending into hubris and he thinks he's bigger than his powers, I'm the person that's there to tell him, dude, you're messing up. And then on the day we were making our rehearsal, our presentations to the rest, I was so nervous that I was trembling. And then I said that this tremble, this tremble because of my trauma from childhood has always there. Oh, and I made man. a sort of story of it. And so the entire time I was trembling, the entire time, even if it was just acting. And for that reason, when they were missing a large loophole in the story, I ended up, my role ended up getting bumped up from uh, just a tiny forgettable role to, hold up, this guy fulfills a function in the story. Let's give him a few lines, let's give him this, da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly from a non-speaking role, I had a few lines and... Uh, Dude, they made you read the essay just like, Assets or yeah, just like just like in the ad agency. But of course, this is a story I made up. All of us were making up our own stories. But the makers of the show realized by making the actors really put dig in deep. work yeah. and dig deep, it sort of helped them sort of stitch together little plot holes. So a lot of people that happened, their roles sort of got bumped up, and the people who are coming to watch the show are like, "How is everyone so on point?" Uh-huh. How is everyone so? Everyone knows why they're there. Everyone knows what they need to do. Everyone is so centered. It was beautiful. So that's all because all of us were doing our work to get our backstories down. And and like how many shows did you do of Luanda? Two weekends, one show Thursday, one show Friday, two shows Saturday, Sunday. That's six, twelve shows. All full. All sold out. Two thousand and four. Two thousand four. Who was Luanda Goi? The role of Londo was played by Goyo Dera. Oh, nice. The role of his first wife, uh, the good wife, was played by Jun Gashui. Yo. Uh, her name was Nyaber. The role of his second wife, who was sent in by the Nandi community, was played by uh, Karemi. Mumbai. Yep. The role of Opul, his arch nemesis, who ended up giving him away to the Nandi. Like, he ended up being a cohort of... Um, of, yeah, and this is another genius part in the story. Everyone thinks it was the Nandi in, in this real story who killed him. But in this case, it was his arch nemesis, his fellow warrior, People. who could oh, never forgive my. him for being responsible for the death of his parents. That role was played by Makbul. Yo. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a lot of really memorable 
um, side roles, like not side roles, but smaller supporting roles. Uh, one of them, well, the, like the village gossip, the village, I know everything in this village and you can't tell me anything was played by Atemi Oyungu. And she, she had a really nice solo that she probably got a standing ovation for. There was a role of Oracle who formed something of the narrator of the story because her role, she was like, she's timeless. She's like, I was here from the very beginning and I'll be here after it's all over. And I can tell you everything. So every time we should take a step out of the story and say, watch, you know, watch this man descend and give himself up to his own, blah, 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 blah. blah. That role was played by Helen Mkawali. What? Yep. There Valerie was... wasn't in this one. No, no, no. no. Okay, okay. No, we'll, no. Get, we'll get there. Yeah. So, what's next? So now, I mean, so after how, we is, did, how are you I've... feeling, first of all? Where, where is your mind at right now? Well, by this point, I have a job. I'm taking time off of the job to go. Is acting a side hustle? Acting was a side hustle. At this time? Yeah. But I still was really putting my attention into being a good creative. And that was working out. Yeah, so so the job the job is going pretty well. I've, I've joined Ogilvy. I'm still a junior copywriter, still trying to get that off the ground. Um, and after Luanda, I remember after Luanda, that was the first time my phone rang. And on the other end of the phone was Ian Bogwa. Yo. And Ian Bogwa had gotten my number from Kamze, I think. And Ian was like, hey, uh, we're doing this play. If you're interested, do you want to come and be a part of it? No audition, nothing. Because Phoenix operated differently. They'd had their Phoenix auditions once a year. And they'd have a whole bunch of people come in and then audition and then from there they'd pick the actors because it was repertory you could you didn't have time to audition for everything exactly show. yeah so you had to call people and if they're available they came and so ian calls me and says yeah we have a place called charlie's aunt um we have a role that i think you'd be good for are you available or interested and i'm trying to i cannot contain my excitement and i'm like yes and he said and the best words i ever had ever come to phoenix and come pick up your script Oh my god. At that particular point, I was taken back to a very exact memory where I was sat next to Charles Chiari in a Matatu sometime in mid 90s. And Charles Chiari was the shit because, like I said, it was, okay. it was an actor's theater actor scene. So we, we would see the reviews every Friday in the papers. Yep. And we knew Charles Chiari was amazing. And I remember sitting next to him, and I'm like, I'm sitting next to Charles Chiari. And what's Charles Chiari doing? He's reading a script. Uh. <laughs> what's he doing? Is he memorizing lines? Is he, what is this? This is amazing. And suddenly I'm going to be like, I'm going to be the person seated in the Matatu reading a script. Wow! So I went and picked up the script and we rehearsed for about a month and ended up on a Phoenix stage in the role of... Uh, I can't remember his name, but I played a pretty comedic old man in this play called Charlie's Aunt. And then in quick succession... What this is, is 2005. Five, huh? Yeah. And then in quick succession, after Luanda, we did another musical called Joseph and the Amazing Technical and Dreamcoat. And then I joined Phoenix. Hold on, hold on. Don't just... This is now Stalin Q still. In Stalin Q. Joseph and the... Amazing Technical and Dreamcoat. Still, uh, who is involved in this now? Did you again have to go do the auditions and everything? You auditioned for every single Stalin Q play. So it wasn't it like, didn't oh, matter. now you've joined the, the repertoire of people. Nah, it didn't matter. So let me ask, 
how are you doing this and working at the same time? Ogilvy isn't the joking working environment. No, no, no. I mean, he was really busy, but as long as the rehearsals were happening in the evening and on Saturdays, I was fine. Uh-huh. So for the most part, I was able to attend the rehearsals. Okay, so Stalin Q understood that people work had lives, yeah, and come and act after work. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they made it flexible. It's not like where we're headed to as an industry right now. Or oh, now, you know, how the industry works now is that there's people who are doing it full time. Exactly, that's what yeah. I mean. So you're rehearsing. So you're rehearsing during the day, exactly. you're rehearsing at other hours. So there's a lot of people who might want to get into this but can't make their rehearsal times because... Um, the full timers are yeah. grinding it and they're giving it. Yeah. But at that time... At that time, a lot of people who were involved in acting were doing other things as well. Okay. Yeah, it. it was rare that you'd had people... You know, if there's people, even people who are working in act, uh, acting full-time were still doing MC work, uh-huh, TV work, uh-huh. radio work. I get it. On the side, yeah. Okay. So, Joseph so, and the Amazing Technical Dream Coat was interesting because I got to meet a whole new bunch of people there. Um, and the Stalin Yeah, and the Q. There was this kid who'd come out of St. Mary's who was full of energy and could sing very well and had been in Coca-Cola pop stars. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, no, 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 he hadn't joined Coca-Cola pop stars yet. Nah. Uh, his name was Charles Ouda. And Charles could sing so well. He hadn't joined Coca-Cola pop stars yet, but we'd seen him in a similarly themed pop oh, I thought you were going to before. say Kevin from Sana. No, Kevin no, no, no. Yeah, he wasn't involved in that. No, no. It was Charles Ouda. It was directed by Mkamze Matela. Regina Ray played the role of Potiphar's wife. It yeah. was a nice reunion. Uh, what role did you play? I played the role of one of the brothers. This one was a much smaller role. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know the role Joseph? Of, the role of Joseph was by Ch- Charles Oda. Okay. Charles. And the role of Joseph's dad uh, was played by Makbu. Um, and then, after we did... Uh, no, before we did Joseph, we did a little play called Fiddler on the Roof. No, how oh, am Okay, sorry, dude, I have my timeline wrong. No, but I remember we did Fiddler on the Roof. And Fiddler on the Roof was... Fiddler on the Roof was nice. Fiddler on the Roof is a good play, it's funny. And this is the first time we saw Steve Katingima play the role of... Tevye, which was the lead. Linda Modama played his wife. And then there was a lot of yeah, these young actors playing the daughters. Charles, uh, Charles Oda also had a big role in that. And then there was this white dude who showed up and wanted to audition. And he was an American dude. And he was committed. This guy was so committed once that uh, after the auditions, they were playing an acting game where you were supposed to fantasize that you were scared by something. So you were told to pick an object or a person in the room that you're scared of and run away from them or react accordingly. And Nick imagined that his image in the mirror was the most scary thing. Yeah. And he went and attacked the image and broke one of the mirrors in the dance studio at KNT. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Oh yeah, so, 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 so this, this dude, Nick, joins the cast. And obviously, because of his energy, he's given a pretty principal role. 
and I'd never really gotten to know him up until this point. Like I said, I'd met him a couple of times. And then we became firm friends, me and Nick. <laughs> crazy dude, crazy dude. Uh, we put on, we put on Fiddle on the Roof and it's a, a pretty dope success. And very soon we're coming back to do Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dream Coat. And soon after that, I did um, Malaika, for which I had, it was the first time I actually had a type like main lead role. Malaika? Yeah. So, dude, let me say, at this time, you're a full fledged actor. Play pretty um, much. Theatrical. You could say that. Because, because. Is it called Concespian? You could say that. I mean, I'm, a bit like partial, I'm a bit partial to that word because it's thrown around so loosely now. What's a thespian? What for you? What? 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 I actually, don't know, but I, I see. I, I feel like there needs to be some level of mastery for the definition. But there needs to be some okay, element yeah. of mastery and devotion to the craft that is not just for Oko. You just don't just throw it out like nah, that. Nah, nah, you don't just there's, any. But there's some level of those words that people like to um, to use. So. A thespian. Oh, was an actor or an actress? It just simply means someone that has something related to drama and the theatre. So yeah, you could say it was. <laughs> but you, you feel like you need some. Thespian means you know, some you don't, just, you don't just wake up and say you're a thespian. Um, Malaika was uh, a lead. Well, the title role of Malaika. Malaika was another original Kenyan production. I don't think it was very good in retrospect, story-wise. Um, but I got to play opposite uh, Be- Becky, Becky Mwikia, who was a good friend of mine as well. Becky was an actor? Yeah, yeah. And know. singer. She sang and danced and acted. Becky, Becky of Becky Nigeria. I yes. Becky Nigeria. <laughs> Becky Nigeria, that one, yeah. Becky who's now doing all this pretty stuff, uh, pretty good stuff in Nigeria. Produ- yeah, production-wise. Yeah. But at the, at the point we were doing Malaika, um, You know, Sterling Q had become a little bit tiring by this point. I was still looking for um, for a project, you know, for a project that would really like, mm, like just amsha me. And one day I'm walking home from church in Tao on Kenyatta Avenue, and I get to the junction that has that side road that leads to Macmillan Library. So Macmillan Library is on my left. I'm heading towards uh, uh, Afia Center, where I take yeah. a match to go home to South Sea. And just in front of Macmillan, there is an entire movie set. Entire movie set. I'm talking about lights, crew, camera and actors and people walking around and it was the lights it was big huge lights and not far away there's a generator from film studios and (coughs) i didn't know what was going on at the time there's a red convertible that was uh, parked on the road that was being reversed and being put in position for the shot a red convertible and everything looked so big and majestic and it took me back to when I was a kid and I would wake up 
um, and try and make sure that I was having breakfast by 6.30 a.m. Because at 6.30 on CNN was a show called Showbiz Today. And I loved watching Showbiz Today because it took you behind a lot of behind the scenes of okay. films. And let's imagine off the top of my head a film like Lethal Weapon 2 was coming out. They covered it on Showbiz Today. They had interviews with Mel Gibson, they had interviews with Danny Glover. And then they would have <clears throat> what I realize now is promotional material, which is a yeah. lot of behind the scenes footage of the film. And which for an actor at the time was golden. Yeah, it was. For, because for someone who was aspiring, aspiring actor, you were like, yeah. whoa, look this at that, look happens. at all the lights, yeah. look at all the action. And I walked by Macmillan and it was like I was transported back. This was not as much an E.T. moment as it was a, this is showbiz in the making. I would later find out that the film that was being shot was called Rasta. It was a short film that had a pretty decent budget that was um, that was um, that had a pretty decent budget that was based loosely on um, on on Nazizi Hirji musician yeah it was based loosely on a day in the life where she was talking about how she wanted to go out and perform at this such competition so what did that experience do to you well, I would later find out that this was a film that was being... This was a short film. It was a short film, a short fiction film, but loosely based on an incident, I think, that had happened with uh, Nazizi. So it was loosely based on Nazizi. And it was a story about how she really wanted to go out to some hip-hop um, Context, contest somewhere where she was going to go and battle some people and then win or perform and then win and how difficult it was for her to leave the house because of one reason or the other. I can't remember the details. Hmm. But the film was called Rasta and it was directed by this young Kenyan filmmaker who was still pretty fresh in the Ken on the Kenyan scene. Uh, after her studies at UCLA. Uh -huh. None other than? None other than Monorika here. Monorika here. But, I, you know that E.T. feeling I told you? I hadn't felt that feeling in a while. And the feeling just came back to me when I saw that. I saw this set and, I mean, you know, to the extent of, I was able to identify that red car and I saw it in a newspaper because I was like, I went home, I can't go onto a set and ask what are they shooting, that sort of thing. So what I did was go home and then wait for the papers on Friday or Saturday of the next week when they had the art scene. And there was a picture of this wide-eyed, it's always the eyes, they always have wide eyes. This wide-eyed filmmaker called Wanorika here who was making this film called Rasta. And I remembered what my original dream was. It was to end up on a screen roll, even if there was not much of a screen industry going on then. A few months later, we heard about an NGO-related TV show, but that was, was not going to have NGO speak. It was actually going to be a TV show that addressed the issue of sexual habits with young people and the prevalence of the risk that we all are at of catching HIV. That series was called Heartbeat FM, and it was the first screen role that I attached, that I went and auditioned for. 
I didn't get the role that I was going for. I wanted one of the principal roles. And I remember this role meaning a lot to me because I thought <clears throat> if I get hired on this and I have a main role, I'll actually consider quitting my advertising job to Yo. be on this thing full time. Yo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I would actually think about doing that. It's something I would consider doing. Uh, but I didn't have to <laughs> because I didn't get one of the principal roles and the role that I ended up getting was night shoots only. So I was going back and forth between work and the location and I had two or three shooting days and uh, had Peter FM ended up being the result of that work. What what role did you get in, in this particular play? I mean, it's and not just on a screen. screen. So what, what it meant, screenplay, huh? it, was, it was a screen, well, screenplay is the name of the script, you know, that someone writes. But this was a screen role okay. uh, for a TV show that was pretty high budget. They were bringing in a director from Britain who'd worked on some uh, long series forms. Um, I think he was one of on the team of this show called The West, West. EastEnders. Wow, EastEnders yeah. was huge. Yeah. EastEnders is the neighbors of the of, UK. Of Vito, yeah. So, so he had some role in that. And he was coming as a director to shoot this. And he, he was the first person I asked, hey, I really wanted that lead role and I didn't get it. And was I terrible in the audition? And he didn't like that I asked him that question because he was like, you don't understand. That's not how it works. Auditions are a lot more subjective in ways other than did you put on a good performance or not? And I was like, oh, okay, so I guess I just learned something new and I also ended up pissing off a director in the process. <laughs> um, but Handbeat FM was also another special project because it's introduced people to more new talent. Um, this gentleman called Ezekiel Oni, we call him Ezekiel Oni, he now works with... Uh, um, film Queen Africa. Um, I can't remember a lot of people from that show, but it was a good show. It was a really, really good show. How, and I, how I many think days did it take you to film? I, I filmed for three days. I was playing the role of a casino manager. Not a casino manager, but the employee of a casino manager. Mm -hmm. And I remember the director being pretty impressed by my performance. And this is the first time I was doing a stage gig. And not a stage gig, but a, a screen gig. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty high budget, so I showed up on set and there they were. The lights, the camera, the props being moved around, a crew, people on radios, everyone just doing their thing. And me getting into my costume and I was that little boy again. Like, I'm getting into costume and I'm about to get onto a set and action and boom. And dude, I was so psyched up and so inexperienced. I wasn't waiting for the director to call action. It was the sound of the slate, the slate, the clapper, clack, that was getting me into. So it was like scene one, you know, scene, scene one, take five. Uh, mark it, and then I'd start acting. And the director had to keep telling me, wait for action, wait for action. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But dude, I, I, I really think I killed that role. I don't know where that footage is. I don't have any of it anywhere. But it felt really good many days, many weeks later, tuning into KBC and watching myself. That must have been cool. That was. And what it. year is this now? This was 2006 or 2007. And at this point, I was making plans to now leave the country and go and study. So, I've met you. I've now met you. 
Ah, uh, by this How point I, we've met. Ah, yeah, this is because again, <laughs> I've I've not heard you talk about church. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm aspiring rapper. <laughs> come to this church called Baptist <laughs> and Baptist gave me my first opportunity to perform Close Your Eyes. I, I had no idea. Okay, so a bit of backstory to this. Now, um, I'd left Olova, you know, Olova had wound up. I, I was dealing with my own feelings and issues about what ministry ought to be or what Christianity ought to be. And I ended up leaving the church I was going to at that point, St. Andrews, because I was dissatisfied with, you know, there was a lot of shit going on there as well. Um, and I was like, let me go to a church where at least I have seen that it appears to really take care of its congregants and it appears that they know what they're doing and they're cool and they're hip and they're all about ministry and and I was like, I'll go and join Nairobi Baptist. Uh, by this point, I'd be befriended um, uh, Pastor Mulandi and a lot of Bapo people knew me because of Olova. And I remember thinking Bapo was this cool church and I'd probably never be able to break in and start a social life there. But the fact that I had been a dancer. Because me, when I walked in, you were one of the cool kids. I was, but that's simply because of the years Uh in all over. Otherwise, if I just walked in as I, I, then it would have been really, 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 really hard to break in. I I really struggled to break into Bapo. Until that day? No, no, no. Even afterwards? Even, even after that, that's why I gravitated to Mavuno so instantly. Ah. Bapo could can, can be very clicky. Bapo is, it, was at that point. I yeah. don't know about now, but it, it, it was it, clicky. It could have finished you. It was hard. It was hard. But now, you know, because I had been on that stage a few times, I had auditioned for a couple of the productions that they did there. Mm-hmm. And I ended up in a couple of... You know, the ones that I was talking about, Light, Gap, these yeah, concerts. Yeah. I ended up in a few of them. And it felt nice. So I'm getting reacquainted with the church and trying to get acting off the ground and, you know, things seemed like they were going pretty smoothly. All was well. And then this acquaintance, though, this connection that I had made with, um, with Moz, having worked with him on all over, started to come through when Kubamba was growing and they needed someone to MC and help him out with some gigs. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended up hanging out with a lot of the Kubamba crew at that point. And then my boy David Courier tells me about this plan that he has to start an online magazine, an online publication <laughs> called moafrica.com. And he asked me, yo, you know, you have some experience with the stage. Would you like to stage manage this thing? At this point, I have no idea what a stage manager does. <laughs> what does a stage manager do? And I didn't want to appear too ignorant. And I was like, I, I, I found a smart way to ask the question. I was like, okay, so then what would you require of me in the role of stage manager? <laughs> and he says, well, you know, I've called in a lot of favors. David Curry had called in a lot of favors. A lot of people supporting him yeah. and performing for free on the launch of this online publication and an online publication that's such a new idea like an online publication where people are going to find out about what's happening on the gospel scene and it was going to be updated daily and he said what i want to do is incorporate event recaps um uh, uh, uh community threads um, and album reviews and I think this is where the 
industry oh and event event recaps and event reviews as well and i've lined up all these artists and he had a whole bunch of really amazing artists man um i can't of course i can't name them all but like i, I, I there was a number of them i remember even he was able to bring in even kapuda kapuda was going to perform for uh for free uh he had some rappers on there it was a, lo- a whole bunch of people and i decided i was going to stage manage it for him and the cleverness of this gig was it was the first MC-less gig with an MC. There was no MC. So the whole story about it was that Goi was supposed to be the MC. And what they were doing was they had a voiceover saying, we're sorry our MC has not arrived. Let's check up on him. And they had all this pre-shot footage of Goi waking up late. That was actually so creative. It was very, very creative. And this was in 2006. We hadn't seen anything like this before. And... Uh, they had all this pre-shot footage of Goi trying to make his way to Sitam, to Nairobi mm. Pentecostal Church, where this event was happening. And he meets this uh, taxi driver who was played by a friend of mine called Sarah Muhoho. And this taxi driver had lots of moods. And she was like, why are you giving me a hard time? I don't even want you as a passenger. What are you talking about? And he's like, all I need to do is get to this function. And there was a lot of funny gigs, funny, funny little jokes along the way. But we had to coordinate this to perfection so that Goey had on the same clothes that he had in the video. And the end of this whole skit was Goey was supposed to, towards the end of the gig, finally make his way to Bapo. And they pre-shot that footage of, uh, of making his way to Sitam. And they had this pre-shot footage of him getting to the door of Sitam and walking in and me being the stage manager had to coordinate and make sure he got in at that exact time and walk up to the stage and now give an apology and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah. guys. And that was the launch of Africa. It was amazing. So David was like, hey, that went well. If you could help me write a few reviews. So I wrote reviews for um, Zaidia Mziki. What? Yeah, I wrote the review for the album Zaidia Mziki. And it was such a good album. I wrote a review for... Do you remember this artist called Lucas Imari? Yep. The, yeah, who showed up and then... Yes. I don't know where he went. He was from States. Yeah, he was from Stato and he wanted to... Fact, he wanted to sign Zaidia Mziki. He did. And then that didn't go very far. So I wrote the album review for his album. And the reviews were received really well. And so one day David is coming to Bapo and he wants to shoot a few things. And he told me about this rapper called Aster and Yafesi who was working at Hope FM I think by this point yeah yes I think he was working at Hope he FM. was working at Hope yes um, Yafesi was on the front line like he was on the he had front row seats to all these new artists and so he had told me about this artist called Dana Seda on this newly formed Kijiji Records and I remember watching Dana Seda and being like ah this guy's amazing and then we had about this rapper called Aster who'd done this song called Close Your Eyes and he was coming to perform in Papo. So David, where David, David Courier was like, yo, I, I, um, I have my camcorder, I'd like to record him. So I want you to, you know, can you film him, please? And I was like, sure. So I took this camcorder and I was sat on the front row. You know, Bapo was my church by this point, so I was pretty comfortable with being in there. And I filmed this guy perform this song. <laughs> and 
Watching him perform, I had completely forgotten what it's like to get so caught up in a performance. Because after he performed the third verse, I kid you not, Richie, this kid called Esther, opened his eyes at the end of the third verse and sort of had to re recalibrate, like re-acquaint himself with where he was. And it's almost like he got so caught up in the performance, he opened his eyes like, oh, I'm back. Shucks, sorry, did I lose you guys for a moment? Did you guys lose me for a moment? Are we here? Are we together? And the audience was watching Spellbound. And they clapped before the song was over. Just because of that moment. It was so powerful. And I was in, like I was close up, close up of, 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 of you, Richie, as, as you were coming back, like, what happened? And I was like, yo, I want to get to know this dude. <laughs> he seems like a cool dude. Um, at this point, Kijiji was really, really trying to sink, to, to, to sink its hands into this budding industry with all these young musicians. So they had found Dana Seda, they had found Richie, they had found this dude, this young dude called Riga, uh, they'd, and then they'd found this rapper. Oh, they'd found another lady, uh, FMC, is that what they're called? They'd found an MC called Michelle. Michelle. And then they had found another dude who had come straight out of Dandora and didn't seem to fit within this demographic, but he was a part of hip hop history with Ukoflani Mao Mao and his name was Giuliani. Ah, now, at this point, I was preparing to leave for the States to study. But I was already doing a little bit of work for David and then I ended up doing a little bit of work for Mose and seeing some of his functions. And here I was again in the front line of all this new stuff that was coming out of gospel. And I was like, you know, I'm not involved as much in the gospel scene. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in being a celebrity on, this, on the gospel scene anymore. However, I really want to see what's going on with these young people because I remember what it was like to be one of these young people and this new chapter of gospel music came up that was not just strong on ministry values but really also strong on artistic values production values and and was backed up by a bunch of cool people so Jogsi and gospel fathers had become zaidia muziki kiki was all up in that business uh there was this rapper called nashville mm -hmm. uh linda Ogalo was getting stint. on Genji's stint was short but it was like a, a, like a, like a punch to the industry like yeah. take that here's another voice oh man it was so freaking amazing ah man i loved it so much so much so much it was so good one of the best gospel albums my testimony. My testimony was a strong gospel album. Uh, Zaidia Music was a strong gospel album. All these people were turning out albums, not singles, but al entire albums. What the hell is going on? Um, but that didn't last very long because I had to leave Kenya. So let's talk about you leaving. Like, what was that decision about? This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. 
Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.